Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is February 15th, 2023. And we're ready to begin our worship service. Why don't we begin with a word of prayer? Father, thank you for this time we have. We are here, Father. We are glad to be here as we stop and think about um, what is before us in Romans. We are blessed that you have given us wisdom in this uh, chapter. As we come to the end of the chapter, we, we're thankful, Father, that as we look back, we can see progress, understanding, knowledge, as we have gone through these passages. So, Father, as we, before we do, we ask for wisdom as we close out the chapter. And also, Father, we pray for those who are sick among us, those who are grieving, those who are in pain. You know who is on the hearts of of, of all of uh, your your saints. Uh, in particular, Father, we're asking for the Wilmore family, in particular my Aunt Mary, who I'm told is in hospice. So we're praying for her this evening, as well as the, the entire family, uh, praying for uh, as they think about and go through the transition that is ahead of them. So, Father, we, we also pray for the Haddon family. Uh, all of these uh, prayers, Father, we, we know uh, it is your will. You know, we, we, we are telling you what is on our heart, Father, but we know your perfect will will prevail in all of these cases. We thank you in advance. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Right. So we, as you know, we are studying in the book of Romans, chapter 11, verses 34 through 36. We've uh, come to the last three verses here. And they read, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that he should, that God should repay them for from him and through him? And for him are all things. To him, to him be glory forever. Amen. In your notes, there is a natural separation between God and man. Our natures are vastly different, and there is no middle ground. He is the creator of all things, and we are part of his creation. It's a wonder how Lucifer could have said, quote, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High, unquote. That's Isaiah 14, 14. How could a created being not see the majesty, authority, and power of God? Only a mind and will overwhelmed with by arrogance could conceive of challenging the source of all life, quote. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse, unquote. That's Romans one twenty. And uh, I would have to say, God's invisible qualities have been clearly seen. It's interesting how the world we live in uh, right now and over the U.S. we've been 
dealing with these balloons and uh, these things that have been over um, the United States and have been sh shot down. And a lot of people are making assumptions. Oh, these things must be UFOs. You know? But I would say, no matter what happens, and uh, we just have to keep the understanding of God is in control. <laughs> I've seen panic, conspiracy theories, all kinds of things, but God is in control, as we know. So the thought is, um, we covered quite a few of this last week, uh, and I'll just jump in at point number two to keep up or, or catch us up to where we were. Point number two is, who has ever given to God that God should repay them? Other passages that come to mind when I consider, quote, who has ever given to God, and I've read some quotes from Job, uh, and also 1 Corinthians 4, 7, which talks about um, who, uh, everything, who has, uh, what do we have that we did not receive? And if we did receive it, why do we boast as though we hadn't? Right, so that's 1 Corinthians 4, 7. And really, God's pretty self-sufficient. He doesn't really need us. He might want us, but he doesn't need us. He, he is really self-sufficient. We, given to God, repaying God, uh, God, that is not really something that God uh, requires from us. Point B, God is not like us. Man is naturally in the place of humility. And we discussed even when Christ took on humanity, he took on a new nature. Uh, he was in a place of humility. And God is so far different from who we are that all we can do is learn of him. That is our posture, learning of God. Point C, but we see Jesus Quote, beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, preached, was preached on uh, among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. So this is a classic verse, 1 Timothy 3.16, and it does show how uh, Christ came into the world, how he sojourned, he did the, you know, his, the mission that was before him, as we read in John. He finished the work that uh, the Father had designated that he finish, and caught, he was caught up and taken up into glory. Point D, God is the creator, and we are the created. You must recognize the majesty of God. We went through quite a few scriptures that recognize who God is. We even went back to Job to discover some of the banter, the back and forth. And by we got we got to forty two, and we where God addressed Job, and Job's response was one of humility. So we we had opportunity to look at that last week. So we're going to just. Head on to number three now. For from him and through him and for him 
are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So the first thought is, without God, we would not exist. And that's, I know a lot of times, I know there are people who deny the existence of God. They think that somehow we arrived here on our own through natural processes, evolution, theories of how we got here that really don't hold water. And the only thing that could possibly account for man with all of the intricacies and intelligence that, that is man is God. There is nothing in the animal realm like man. We are unique above all others. Uh, we can think, we can reason, uh, we have volition. Uh, are, we would not exist were it not for God. We could not been, we could not have been created through natural processes. So the thought is to understand we need God whether we know it or not. For from him, we live and move and have our being. So this is Acts 17, 28. Let's look at that verse. Acts 17, 28. So this verse, these are some classic verses. We have the Bereans in here which is classic, how they, they were more noble. And they searched the scriptures. Paul said they were noble. That's in verse 11 and, uh, and, so, and following. And, but then verse 28 says, For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So Paul is, he is... Uh, this is the famous passage where he goes and he's surveying the different gods that these uh, Gentiles have, uh, have, uh, that have in the square. But then they had one God. They said it was the unknown God. So Paul used that to talk about uh, the true God. He says, now they're, yeah, it's, it's, they have said unknown. Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you about this God. And he is the one who is above all. He's everything, right? So if you read this context, you kind of get that. But this one statement, for in him we live and move and have our being. So this coincides with the verse that is before us. For, for from him and through him and, uh, and for him are all things. We cannot exist apart from God. This is to say, as a creature from God's uh, hand, we are subject to God. So arrogance, obviously, is a part of the sin nature. It is not something we would naturally have. Naturally, we would recognize in humility who we are uh, as it relates to God Almighty. So I like that verse in Philippians. 
that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That verse tells us that God is high and lifted up. And even how we're talking about glorified humanity there with the Lord Jesus Christ, we're talking about what God has done and the height to which he has raised Christ and, and all of the humility that Christ had when he was here on earth. God highly exalted him. So when we think about the things of God along this line and who we are, and it's amazing. It, it, it is certainly amazing. I have to say that we are so dependent on God. I think that goes into my next point. We are dependent on God, but so is the universe. Uh, we're not the only ones. You know, I've heard people say things like, without God, I can't even draw my next breath. And, and that is true. Because God is the one who sustains us. He is the very source of life. He didn't just give us life. We depend on him for the sustenance of our life. So <laughs> in him we live, we move, we have our being. We cannot be without God. We could not exist without God. So the atheist who says there is no God, is, a, is he's saying that from a, a position of arrogance because he doesn't recognize who we are and the dependence we have on God. Point B, the universe was designed to depend on its creator. And quote, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. That's Colossians 1.17. So when we think about that statement, uh, we don't see God who is aloof, who took off after he created all things, and now he's just letting things run its course and not have to worry about anything. God is involved in his creation. And we know, we know this because we have discussed that the Father has a plan. And the Father's plan is being accomplished, even as we speak. Now, we look at the devastation and the things that are going on in this world, and we shake our head and think, man, wow, that is hard. I, we just came through the whole Turkey and Syria crisis, the earthquake that happened. All these people have lost lives. And it's hard to watch because this world is a horrible place. But yet, just remember, in all of this, God is working out his will. He is, it's one day, it's going to all be over. And God is going to have what he desired from all of this. And that is these many sons that are being brought into glory. So when we think about the universe depending on its creator, needing its creator for its existence, we think about how fast the universe is. Uh, this speaks to the purpose of God. He is before all things. He's Christ. He's the creator. And in him, all things hold together. Hold together meaning consist. 
are bound together. So God is the one who, it, he sits in eternity, yes, but his power is what upholds the universe. Without God's power upholding the universe, the universe could not exist. That's what this verse tells us. So we're just going to go through these next three things. From him, through him, and for him. So from him, everything that exists began in the mind of God. Everything has its existence from him. God is the source of all life. This is a doxology. So God, this is this is written to praise God. It is not exaggeration. It is telling what we know of the the majesty, the power of God as we think about who He is. Uh, Paul is thinking about it in terms of his wisdom and knowledge and how he is navigated through human free will and still is able to accomplish what he is trying to do in the world. So from him, everything that exists began in the mind of God. Everything has, ex has, ex has its existence through him and from him. So he is the source of all life. It, just think, if there was no God, there could never be anything. Uh, Billy Preston said it best. Nothing from nothing leaves nothing. And that's the truth. If there was ever a time when there was nothing, there never could have been a time when there was anything. So everything comes from God. And, and that's, that's an important thought as we think about our position and where would we be without God uh, everything is from him point, point D through him this to me speaks of God's plan and it comes to us through God's agents who are God's agents the son and the spirit of truth so what do we mean by the son is God one of God well the, in the word through, through him all things were created so when you say through him, that means there was a plan. It wasn't just uh, when we talk about Christ as a creator, we are noting that he is the, you know, you know uh, through him all things were made, and without him there was nothing made that has been made. We recognize he's the creator, and being the creator, it's a divine task. It's a divine undertaking. So we recognize who he is. But even going through the Son to create all things is a recognition of the Father's plan. Because that is a part of what he has done. And when we read, we read in uh, Colossians 1, 15 through 17, where it talks about he is, uh, he is before all things and, for, and, uh, and in him all things hold together. Prior to that, let me turn to it. In Colossians 1, 16, let's look at 16. For, for in him all things were created. This is 1, 16. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, uh, all things have been created. Here it is, through him and for him. 
So through him seems to designate or to say that it, it could have just said all things were created by him, but it's the through him puts it as it, as it is according to a plan. Everything was created according to a plan. And Christ is an agent in the Father's plan. He did the creation. He would also pay for the sins. And he would also be used as the last Adam to bring many sons into glory. All through him. And then we also have the spirit of truth as an agent of the Father. His objective is not only spirit of truth, which is... Uh, uh, Defi which defines his role in the church age, but he also has a role to enlighten humanity, to teach, to, uh, to influence humanity uh, in the same way that he does uh, now in the church age. He had the same role for Israel, although uh, Israel, the, the objective was not the same as the church. So, but the Holy Spirit was influencing them to walk and to act according to their plan. So he is an agent of the, the Father's eternal purpose as well. So all of that is through him. And for him is point E. The Father has direct benefit from the plan. That means when we look back and the, the way the plan is presented to us, it's the Father's plan, it's being ex executed, we see the agents uh, involved in the execution. And we didn't discuss God's human agents that he called uh, as part of uh, partners with him in executing the plan. But we're just talking about the divine ones. And But all of that benefits the Father. He's directly the one to benefit from the Father, from his plan. But then secondarily... Right? Then we have others who benefit from the plan, especially Christ, which it says in Colossians 1.16, all things were have been created through him and for him. So point F, ultimately the plan revolves around the glory of God. That's what we have to think. The plan revolves around the glory of God. So when we look at that last verse in John 17 and 5, <clears throat> it says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So if we're thinking about what happened before the world began, we could easily see here that the Father and the Son had a conversation. And the conversation was around the Father's eternal purpose, which would bring glory. Not only glory to the Father, not only glory to the Son, but here it is in verse 10. All I have is yours, and all, I, all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. And then later he says, I have given them, he says, uh, where does it say it? Yeah. He says, I and them, you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. 
and the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you. oh it's 22 I'm sorry I have given them the glory that you gave me there it is that they may be one as we are one so there is all it revolves around glory the completion of the father's eternal purpose that's what it's all about that's the meaning of life, if you think about it. That's for everybody. Now, of course, it was hidden from ages and past generations, but it is now revealed, and now we know. Now we can think about this, this wisdom. We can adopt this wisdom as our own, because God has revealed it to us. So at the end of it all, I say, Amen. So back to uh, Romans 11. So I would say this has been a fantastic uh, chapter. We, what we've covered in this chapter has, to me, has been amazing as I think about it. What I will do is also, um, I will give you guys all the notes for Romans 11. That's coming. Uh, you'll be able to, let me just see, let's get an idea of when Romans 11 started, just so we can have a good understanding of how long we were here. I always try to do this, but uh, some, I, I did not prepare this, so I usually I have this ready for you, but here it is, Ooh, it hasn't been that long at all. So Romans 11.1 1 started on April 20th, 2022. So, so we are in February. So I would say it's about 10 months that we've been in Romans chapter 11, approximately. That is the time it took us to get through there. So uh, I will make sure everybody gets the notes. I'll pass them out this week or next week. Probably just sometime tomorrow, maybe I'll shoot them out to you. But we just want to, I just have to thank God for not only allowing us to go through this together, but uh, to giving us the understanding of what we were reading. So this is important. Let's just read over Romans 11. 11, when I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. Paul is clearly picking up from the thought that the Jews are trying to say that God rejected Israel. God did not reject Israel. Paul says, I'm saved here. I'm, 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 I'm an Israelite. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. No, there is redemption for us. There always will be. God has continues to hold his hand out to Israel. God did not, verse 2, God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know that what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left, and they are trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So, too, at the present time, there is a remnant 
chosen by grace. So this remnant chosen by grace is the church. What he's talking about, those who have uh, Jewish heritage. The fact that they have Jewish heritage means that they were called in Israel, but there is a remnant who believe in Christ and are in the church age. They have a calling in the church. And Paul is part of that remnant. He was a Jew. Tribe of Abraham. He was a tribe of Abraham. He was a tribe of Benjamin. A descendant of Abraham. He's part of that remnant. And it's chosen by grace. It's a sovereign call. Verse 6. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. So don't think that you worked yourself into this call. Don't think that God sovereignly chose you and now this is something that you showed him because you were somehow good or he chose you because of some, some goodness that he foresaw in you. No, 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 not at all. He chose you for his own purposes and grace. And this grace is not based on works. Otherwise, you cancel grace. If you, if you attempt to think of it in the wrong way, then it is not by grace. It is by works. And we know salvation is by grace. And we know we cannot bring our works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And it, uh, what then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly, they did not obtain. The elect among them did, but the others were hardened. So what they really wanted was salvation. They wanted to be right before God. They wanted to be just and righteous before God. They earnestly sought it, but they did not get it. Why? Because they pursued it not by grace, but it was by works. The elect among them did. When it says the elect, he's talking about those who pursue God and some, and they landed in this age. We are the elect. And those, well, when I say we, he's talking about people of Jewish descent here. The rest were hardened, meaning they're asleep in discipline. As it is written, God gave them the spirit, a spirit of stupor eyes that could not see, ears that could not hear to this very day. And David says, may their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs bent forever. So this is judgment on them. Verse 11, again I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. So th this is an important part, because remember, the Jews were trying to say that Israel, that Paul was trying to destroy Israel. That by the church age coming on the scene, Israel is forever off the scene. But that was not the plan. The plan was for us to temporarily take the role that Israel had because of their discipline and, and slumber, and then give it back to Israel later after the rapture. They would get it back. So, so these verses are really highlighting that thought. So he says, um, 
Did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. So when it says salvation has come to the Gentiles, he's not saying all Gentiles are saved. He's saying that now Gentiles have a role in the plan of God to preach the gospel to, to all, wherever they are. It is, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are ministers of reconciliation. That's what he means. It does not mean everybody is saved. This is an important point to make. So just keep that in mind. Verse uh, 12. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? In other words... God's going to wrap it all up in the tribulation with when they finally come back, God is able to bring everything together under one head, that is Christ. That's everything. And this is going to happen. This is what Paul is referring to. Uh, I am talking to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles. I take pride in my ministry and the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. So in other words, the job that Israel should have been doing, the church is now doing. And Israel may become jealous and say, well, I want, I want in, I want in. Verse 15, for if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? So Paul is constantly telling us, yes, Israel has a future. Don't think they don't. They have a future. If part, if the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. And holy means set apart unto God. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Gra granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. So you saw God discipline Israel. Don't think he won't discipline the church. I remember we had these notes and we had all of the scriptures where God talks about this discipline in the seven churches, right? He, he, he gave them, I know your works. He gave them praise if they had praise. And then he would tell them, uh, but here's some things I have against you. If you do this, if you don't, this will happen. He pronounced a lot of judgment on us, so he could remove our lampstand as, as a church if we are not doing God's will. Verse 22. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, 
for God is able to graft them in again. What do you mean graft them in? In this age, is Israel going to be back in play? No, it'll be just like the Apostle Paul and those elect. That's what will happen. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature, were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, talking about you're a Gentile, you don't even belong in this role, <laughs> how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted in to their own olive tree? This is, the, the, the call was created for Israel. God knew Israel was going to be, have to go to sleep in discipline, and the church would take over temporarily. It, the role does not belong to us. You know why? We are not of this world. We are here to serve. But we are not of this. We, do, we don't belong to this world. Israel does. Verse 25. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel had, has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. We talked a lot about these verses, how the mystery is mentioned, and we are not to become arrogant because of the position that we have. And how it, we can look over at Israel and realize that uh, they're being disciplined now. Israel and this hardening is temporary for Israel and it's not everybody because Paul and, and there is a remnant but the full number of Gentiles has come in come into what come into the church when the, when the church is complete uh, and in this way all Israel will be saved God will then as it is written the deliverer will come from Zion he will turn godlessness away from Jacob and this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as, so we covered this thought in pretty good detail when we talked about the new covenant and how the church is under the new covenant. Uh, but when we talk about the new covenant, we're, we have to say that we're under new covenant principles. Because the church did not exist in the Old Testament when God prophesied about the new covenant. The new covenant is because Christ came, paid for the sins of the world, and now those sins are now paid. Now Israel should be enjoying the new covenant principles, but they are still asleep. And they, when they wake up, they will be a part of the new, new covenant. They will believe and now be under the new covenant to Israel. Church will be gone. So verse uh, verse 28, as far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sakes. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. So this is to say that as it is right now, yeah, while they're sleeping, they're enemies. They're going to persecute us. They're, they're going to fight against us. They hate the gospel. Right? You tell them Christ died for our sins. It's a sure point for them. They, they rejected him, and they're going to continue always resisting the Holy Spirit, just like the forefathers did. So they are doing it, and they're going to, they're going to hate you. Verse 30, just as you were, 
one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience. He's talking about how Gentiles were. When we were, Gentiles were, were the mission field for Israel. So now Jews are that mission field for the Gentiles, well, for the church really. So they too have now become, verse, this is verse 31, disobedient in order that that they too may receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. So they're the mission field now. Before, before uh, the Jews didn't see us as the mission field. They, they separated from us. But we were supposed to be who they were called to, to uh, minister to. But, but that was how it should have been. But now he's saying, now they can have. They're disobedient now. And now... They can have mercy as a result of what God's mercy has done for us. Verse 32. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. This is a classic verse. Now I'm saying it's classic because we have used it to help us understand the bad news and the good news. God's motive in all of this. His thinking of how he constructed and bound everyone over to disobedience. And who did it? God did it. And why did he do it? So that he may have mercy to, on them all. He didn't do it because he was mad at us. He didn't do it because he hates sin so much that he hates us. Or, or, or somehow that we, would, if we, if we are guilty and deserve punishment in some way. He did it because he wants to have mercy on all of us. He wants to be able to save us by grace, through faith, not of ourselves, a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, who has ever given to God, that God should repay them? For from him, and through him, and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So this is Romans 11. We've come to its end. Next week, guess where we'll be? <laughs> it's easy to know. Romans chapter 12. We will get there. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. We're going to get to that next week. We're going to stop at this point and uh, open the floor to see if there are any thoughts questions, ideas. The floor is open. I think it's okay if we don't have any questions. 
I will give it a moment more just to be sure that uh, somebody's not shuffling around with the mute button. And then I will give you guys back a good 15 minutes or so. All right. Very good. We will uh, close. And remember, Romans 12 coming up next week. You look, keep, keep an eye out for the notes, which you will get for Romans 11. So um, with that, let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had. We are blessed. We are blessed, Father, by the calling that we have received. Father, we pray and ask that you will continue to help us know what that calling is and what is our responsibility towards you. Who are we in this world? What have you made of us? Father, I know you have answered all of these questions sufficiently, but help us to know so that it becomes a part of who we are in Christ. We thank you for those who have joined our study and have faithfully been committed committed to learning of who you are and understanding their role here in the world. Father, we thank you for each person and family that is represented by them. We're praying, the Father, that in this year of 2023 that we will recognize who we are in Christ and that we will be the witnesses that you want in this world from us. We thank you for the opportunity to go through these verses with this group, Father. And uh, you know I can't do it without them. So we thank you that we have the documentation that will be a part of the theological landscape. All these things, Father, we... As we approach you, we humbly ask that you will continue to bless us with more chapters, verses, phrases, words that you will show us about your perfect will. All of this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.